The Rare Patient Advocacy Summit is the can't-miss event of the year for rare disease stakeholders. The summit is the largest gathering of rare disease patients, advocates, and thought leaders worldwide. Join Global Genes October 3rd and 4th at the Hotel Irvine in Irvine, California, to take advantage of this opportunity to connect and learn from more than 200 experts in rare disease, leading 100 educational sessions. For more information or to register, go to globalgenes.org forward slash 2018 summit. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. As a college student at Syracuse University, Rob Long was an All-American punter bound for the NFL. His plans took an unexpected turn, though, when he was diagnosed with a rare brain cancer during his senior year. Today, Long is Director of Strategic Development for Uplifting Athletes, a nonprofit organization that raises awareness and funding for rare diseases through a network of college student-athletes. We spoke to Long about his own rare disease journey, how he became involved with uplifting athletes, and the work of the organization. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with me. We're going to talk about your own rare disease journey and your work with uplifting athletes to raise both awareness and funding for rare diseases. Perhaps we can start with your own story, though. You were a student-athlete at Syracuse University. You were an All-American punter on the football team and widely expected to enter the NFL. It was in your senior year that you became diagnosed with a rare disease. What happened, and how did you come to be diagnosed? Yeah, so like you said, I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, given a scholarship to play football uh, at Syracuse, uh, coming out of high school, and uh, really had a, a awesome uh, four years at, at Syracuse. Um, my senior year started to um, kind of not go uh, the way I had you know, personally expected and, and really wasn't sure what was going on. I was um, having issues where, uh, every time we flew on the team flight, uh, I was getting sick when we would land. And, um, you know, we couldn't really figure out what, what the issue was and kind of more or less just chalked it up to, you know, food poisoning and, and just not having a, a good meal. And, uh, on Thanksgiving morning at 2010, woke up and was, uh, was very sick. Um, you know, couldn't stop vomiting and, uh, just really wasn't sure. Uh, what was going on, um, you know, hadn't been out the night before, you know, hadn't eaten anything out of the normal, um, but was, was really not feeling well and, and unable to stop um, vomiting. And, and um, that, and, and in combination with the headaches that I had been having for about um, three months, uh, kind of led me to a point where I uh, finally said, you know, something's not right here and, and went and saw a doctor, or went to the team doctor, and um, at that time, he ordered an MRI of the brain um, and then uh, found out uh, later that evening 
um, that I had a, a rather large growth in my brain. Um, and that was just five days after my last regular season game at Syracuse. Um, so I, I uh, you know, exhausted my eligibility. We'd made it to a bowl game, um, finally, and, uh, you know, got this news that, you know, my life was, uh, pretty much, uh, about to change in a very big way. Being a senior in college is a, a time of transition. Everything in your life has been leading up towards this end, and you're on the cusp of becoming a full-fledged adult in the real world. In your case, there was a, a bright future ahead, and it appeared that you would be among a handful of elite athletes to make it to the NFL. What did the diagnosis mean to you, and, and how did you process it? Were the implications uh, immediately clear? Uh, no, uh, they were not. Um, like you said, I, I had um, kind of gone into my senior year just kind of with the, the frame of mind that I just needed to kind of perform, um, you know, as I had in the past. I'd, I'd worked incredibly hard to um, to get where I was, and uh, I felt extremely confident in my, my abilities to, to be very successful um, as, as a punter and a kicker in, in my final season. And so... Um, you know, as the season wore on, I, I was, I positioned myself as one of the, the top one or two prospects in the country coming out of college to, to be selected in the NFL draft. And, um, you know, I, I had talked to, um, NFL scouts and, and agents and, you know, things were really, um, looking great. And my, my main concerns were just kind of what NFL city I was going to end up in. And, um, you know, when this happened, uh, you know, the, the team doctor uh, pulled me in and you know, like he said, like I told you, he just said, he said that you were rather much growth in my, in your brain. And, uh, I just, it didn't really process to me. I, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't, <laughs> you know, it, it, I could tell from his, his, um, his face and, um, his tone that it, it definitely was not good, but I didn't really understand the severity of it, um, you know, until the next morning. Uh, they told me I'd see a, a neurosurgeon, a specialist, uh, you know, the next morning. And I went into uh, the surgeon's office, and on the screen was an MRI uh, of my brain. And I had never uh, seen a, a brain MRI before, um, before that one. And so I honestly had no idea what I was looking at. And I, I was kind of uh, joking with the, the trainer that had uh, brought me to the appointment. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't really see the issue. And, uh, kind of just looked at it and said, well, you know, that, that giant white spot. And I said, yeah. He said, well, that's not supposed to be there. That's, that's a tumor. And, um, you know, I looked at it and I said, well, I said, that takes up almost a quarter of the, the whole screen. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, it's not good. And, um, that's kind of when it hit me that, you know, this was, um, not something that was going to be, uh, very quickly resolved. Um, the surgeon came in and said that, you know, you need to have surgery in the next um, seven days. So, you know, they were fearing that the tumor had gotten so large um, that there could be complications, you know, from a stroke or a serious seizure that would have a uh, long-term effect. And so um, they asked where I was from, and I told them the Philadelphia area, and they said, you know, you can go be with your family. Um, and they got good hospitals down there. So I was fortunate enough to uh, end up at Jefferson Hospital, uh, in Philadelphia, um, where I met with a, a tremendous uh, neurosurgeon, uh, Dr. David Andrews, um, kind of went through 
explained, you know, what was going on, uh, in surgery and, you know, the ramifications of, of surgery, brain surgery specifically, um, which, which aren't great. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I didn't really have any other choice and, um, you know, we were kind of just taking things a day at a time, um, at that point, but the really crushing blow was, was on the, um, it was about six days after surgery. So I had surgery on my, um, the day after my 22nd birthday on December 14th, 2010. Um, I spent my birthday getting prepped for brain surgery. Um, and then went in the next day, surgery went well. Um, they were able to remove about 93% of the tumor, which is incredibly successful. Um, but, uh, the pathology report came back. Uh, a week later on, uh, December 20th, and, um, you know, that's kind of when we realized and found out as a family that, um, this was not something that, uh, was, was benign, and, um, not only was it not benign, but it was, a, it was an aggressive rare form of, of brain cancer. Um, and, uh, it was just kind of a, a crushing blow to my family, and, um, it was something that, uh, you know, I had known that my family history, um, you know, we had had a, a history of cancer, um, but I found out at that point that we had a, a history of brain cancer. And um, so it was just particularly difficult for, for my mom um, and her family for, for what they've been through. At that point, what was the prognosis and treatment? Um, so when they came into the room, they said, well, there's no cure, uh, for what you have. Um, and at 22 years old, that's not, <laughs> not the words you want to hear. Um, but, uh, you know, they have some stuff, uh, they said they have some stuff that we could try, um, and, and see how it works. And so, um, I think the most difficult part of this is, is just realizing that there is, um, uh, no cure, um, and, and even to this day, you know, there's no, um, no way to, to really treat it, treat it outside of, you know, how I was treated. And, um, you know, I was fortunate in that, you know, I, I'm still able to, um, you know, carry out my everyday life. And, um, you know, it was just a, a tough time, you know, for, for me, um, the day that I was diagnosed with my brain tumor, my mom's youngest sister was, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and so we, we battled together and, um, you know, we're fortunate to, to come out, um, come out of it, um, you know, in fairly good shape. But, uh, and then 2016, um, and Chrissy was diagnosed with another primary, uh, brain tumor and, and passed away in less than 12 months. So she, uh, she joined, um, you know, my mom's father passed away at 35 from brain cancer. Um, when my mom was just seven, uh, she lost her mom at, at 46, uh, when her mother was, uh, I'm sorry, 56, um, to breast cancer. She lost her older brother at 42, uh, to testicular cancer, older sister, um, at 48 to breast cancer. So it's something that we had, um, experienced as a family and it was just, uh, it was a, a tough, um, time, you know, me being so young and, and nobody else having survived. Um, you know, we knew we, we had our hands full. After your treatments, you still pursued your dream to enter the NFL. I believe at one point you were even cold-calling GMs trying to see if anyone needed a punter. How far did you go in trying to get picked up? Uh, yeah, so uh, I think one of the things that, that really um, 
kept me going through everything is that I had this goal that I didn't want um, my cancer to kind of define my life. Um, and so I wanted to, um, you know, prove that, you know, even though I was diagnosed with brain cancer, that it was not going to uh, end my chances of playing the NFL. So it was something that I, I worked out, um, you know, as much as I possibly could. Um, to, to try and be ready when those opportunities came and when my physical health allowed it. Um, you know, that I just was something that I was so determined to be a part of, um, you know, getting back to, to as good, if not better than I was before. So, um, yeah, I spent a lot of time building an uh, email list and, and sending emails and got friendly with a number of NFL uh, general managers and um, they were great and very supportive and um, I was able to uh, work out um, for about uh, for about a dozen NFL teams um, over the course of uh, the two years following uh, treatment and uh you know, I kind of got to a point where I uh, physically and, and mentally uh, had uh, started to really feel like uh, myself again and, and was having really good workouts. Um, the unfortunate thing about the NFL is that there was 32 jobs in the world uh, for what I was trying to do, and they were all filled the year prior. So um, it's not only um, skill, it's, you know, opportunity and uh, timing plays a, a big role into all that. But um, I had finally gotten to a, a spot, um, you know, personally where I felt that, you know, it was time for me um, to uh, kind of look to, to see what else I could do to, to help make an impact that, um, you know, I didn't want to spend all my days uh, playing football because I, I knew that uh, football careers are, are short-lived as they are, and, um, you know, I really felt that uh, I'd be able to have an impact beyond um you know, just playing football. Well, today you're Director of Strategic Development for the nonprofit Uplifting Athletes. For listeners not familiar with the organization, can you explain what it is and what it does? Absolutely. So Uplifting Athletes is a, a nonprofit organization. Our mission is to inspire the residents' community with hope um, through the power of sport. And uh, how we how we do that today is we have a, a network of uh, about 22 uh, college football chapters that um, essentially we, we want them and allow uh, student-athletes to use their platform as student-athletes um, to, to be the voice of, of a, a community that's underserved in the River Disease community. And so um, we, we work with um, our college chapters and then also um, a network of uh, NFL players who support uplifting athletes. Uh, and we have four fighting uh, programs that we, we focus our, our attention on with, um, uplifting leaders, so that's the development of the student-athletes at the chapter levels, um, rare disease awareness, which is, you know, just as it sounds, and, and, and raising awareness to the rare disease community and, and the cause. Uh, uh, rare disease, uh, research, which is our commitment to, uh, funding young investigator, uh, young investigative researchers in the rare disease community to, um, inspire and fund the next generation of, of researchers who are going to be the ones that, that really make a difference, um, in the rare disease community. Um, and then the, uh, final one is uplifting experiences, which is the engagement of, uh, the rare disease community, uh, with the college football chapters, um, and that 
you know, I think has a, a twofold effect in that we are able to um, provide a, an awesome experience for, for a rare disease patient um, where they're not worried about, you know, their treatment or, or what they have to go through, um, you know, for a little while where they can get to meet these, these unbelievable student athletes who have, um, you know, dedicated their time to, to engage with uh, the rare disease community. And I think for the student athletes, uh, it works as a, as a great way for them to understand um, the rare disease community and the patients and what they go through and, and to see the, the wide range of patients in the rare disease community. So um, those are our, our four programs and um, something that uh, we're really excited about. Um, you know, we've had a lot of growth in the last uh, 12 to 18 months um, since I started about two years ago. And um, it's been uh, it's been special, and we're really excited about the future of the organization. How did you become involved in the organization? Uh, so I became involved in the organization um, about uh, I'd say less than twelve months after I was diagnosed. Uh, one of my teammates came up to me, and uh, he said, "There's this organization called Uplifting Athletes, and they have uh, chapters around the country." And he said, "I would like to, to start the Syracuse chapter, you know, in your honor." And um, I was uh, completely blown away, and I thought it was just one of the most amazing, um, <laughs> most amazing things that anybody had ever uh, kind of come to me with, and uh, I was so excited to be a part of it. And uh, so, I, for a long while, I remained very engaged with the with the Syracuse chapter and, and speaking with the team and in the community um, to raise awareness and uh, to raise funds through through the Syracuse chapter, um, and about. Uh, a little over two years ago, I had reached out to, to the founder of the organization, Scott Shirley, and I said, hey, I you know, really enjoy what I'm doing. Is there, is there any way I can help you, you know, on a bigger scale? And he said, you know what, I think we can uh, make something work. And he invited me to uh, join the organization full-time. Um, and like you mentioned, I, I work with uh, Rosie Engagement, and um, that's kind of what... Uh, my my whole thing is, is just to to engage the Rezies community and support the Rezies community with with uplifting athletes um, and our programs, and uh, so it, it's been almost serendipitous how it's all happened. Um, but uh, you know, I really couldn't be happier for for the opportunity to do something that uh, I'm so passionate about and and that I love. The organization's a, a bit unusual in the way it works because it has a chapter network. Can you explain how it's organized and the role student-athletes play? Yeah, it is a very unique uh, organization. Um, so uh, what we've done is set up uh, chapters that aren't necessarily traditional regional chapters uh, that you might see with other organizations. Our, our chapters are actually um, led by the student-athletes and run by the student-athletes. We are there to support them um, you know, in their mission to 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 raise awareness and funds um, at each of the chapters, um, but essentially uh, what we are able to do is um, the student athletes who participate in the Uplifting Athletes program is it's uh, a way for them to have an internship like experience when um, the reality is there's not enough time for them to have a, a traditional internship. Um, whereas working with uplifting athletes, they can, you know, go and do stuff after practice or, you know, they can work around their current schedules with academia and, um, and athletics. And so, 
um, it's been unbelievable to, to the feedback we've gotten and, and the student athletes that we've worked with um, are really, really special and uh, the teams uh, rally around uh, these events and uh, it's it's become uh, something very unique and uh, something we're extremely proud of that the, the student athletes and, and providing the student athletes this platform um, to, to speak up and make a difference. I imagine one of the challenges of the model is that there's built-in turnover year to year. How do you engage student-athletes, and how do you keep a chapter going from year to year? Yeah, it, it absolutely is one of the challenges. Um, one of the, the great things we've done uh, with the Uplifting Leaders program is that we have a, a yearly retreat that uh, we bring um, two student-athletes from each of our chapter schools, and then uh, two student athletes um, from uh, schools that that are wanting to be chapters, uh, and we bring them together. Last year, uh, we were in Atlanta uh, for a three-day retreat um, in, in uh, I'm sorry, in February, and so we brought the the student athletes together. And what we do is we bring um, either the current chapter leader um, and a younger uh, and a younger teammate or two younger teammates with the chapter leaders been there before. Um, but what that allows us to do is kind of build in that next level of leader um, by engaging them, bringing them in to the fold of what uplifting athletes is. Um, so that way we're, we're not chasing somebody down every year and, and having to go to, to every single chapter, um, kind of scrambling to, to redo the same thing. We kind of uh, have been able to uh, bring the student athletes to one central location. We've been doing the leadership retreat for 10 years now. And, um, it's been one of the great, uh, great things that we've done. It's been very rewarding. Um, you know, we're able to do a lot of engagement with former, uh, student athletes and kind of life after football and, um, and also develop the, the leadership and, um, life skills that are necessary. What do you think it is about the cause of rare disease that has allowed you to engage so many student athletes. Um, well, I think the the simple answer is that um, you know, rare diseases aren't you know rare as a whole; they're they're quite common, and um, the the fact that rare diseases affect 30 million Americans, basically one in 10 Americans, um, you, you don't really have to go that far to see uh, to find somebody who's been impacted. Um, I think once once people understand what a uh, rare orphan disease is, they say, oh, well, well, I know somebody with, you know, this or with that. And you say, well, that, that's, yeah, that's a rare disease. And, um, I think one of the things that really hit home for me, um, being, you know, diagnosed, uh, you know, with brain cancer, you know, when I was, um, you know, you, you think that your story is, uh, is unique and in some aspects, each, every story is unique. Um, but then you hear other patients who are diagnosed with completely different diseases, uh, you know, but the general story is, is so similar. And, um, and I think there's such a, an unbelievable opportunity to, to come together as a community, um, to, to raise awareness and to, um, work with, uh, legislators and, and pharma and bio industry to, um, really help everyone together that, um, the understanding of these more rare specific uh, diseases only then leads to a better understanding of the human body. Um, 
which leads to other treatments and, and more understanding for everybody else. So uh, I think that the biggest thing is that it's, the rare diseases are so common, um, you know, that they, they affect so many people that it's um, a cause that you need to rally around. Do you see any long-term impact on the student-athletes you engage? Have you had any go on to becoming professional athletes who still pursue the cause of rare disease? Yeah, we've had um, we've had a number of uh, you know ambassadors um, that have continued on to the NFL. We had um, twelve guys last year uh, that uh, were uplifting athletes cleats for uh, for their my cause my cleats game in the NFL week thirteen, and uh, we had custom you know uplifting athletes cleats made for these guys, and they went out with the cleats and. Um, were, were tremendous ambassadors, and um, one of our other programs uh, called Respiratory Diseases uh, allows uh, the student athletes who have been transitioning into um, NFL and pro football uh, to donate their bench press reps uh, at the NFL Combine or their pro day uh, to raise awareness. And so we've been able to uh, build that pipeline of people who. Um, as they pursue any of their professional careers, both in football and not in football, um, you know, we've been able to see them um, be become the next generation of advocates and um, people who have um, tremendous followings that, that use that platform um, to, to bring uh, awareness to the cause. Where do you hope to have the biggest impact? Oh, man. Um, I, I think... Uh, I think from an awareness aspect, um, you know, if we can, you know, bring awareness and um, start to just grow uh, the, the organization in a way um, and in a fashion that your um, rare diseases don't become so misunderstood um, would be a tremendous, uh, tremendous goal. And uh, with our rare disease research program, I think we want to engage researchers who are going to be those people who continue to study rare diseases for the next 20, 30, 40 years um, and, and have that impact that um, hopefully is, um, you know, a once-in-a-generation type of impact uh, with finding cures and treatments uh, for, for, for the 7,000 rare diseases that we have. Rob Long, Director of Strategic Development for Uplifting Athletes and 2018 Rare Champion of Hope nominee. Rob, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. 